it. Turn on the radio. My homie got a new show and it's time to play it though. I hope you got in tune. He talking bigger business. He make a lot of moves. We talking Scott Catoon. Welcome to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Catoon. Joining me on today's show, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do it on the air. I got you down. We got Digital Adventures, co-founders, Amawale Cassell. Am I good? Yep. Close good enough? To be here. All right. Arjun Venkataswamy. That's perfect. Close enough. All oh, right. That's good. That's good. See, I'm, I'm getting better at this reading thing. <laughs> um, you guys just pull your mics up a little closer so we make sure that the, the lovely listeners can, can, uh, can hear you. Um, the show is going to go all... We're going to go all over the place. And, it, and it's... Partially because that's just the way these shows go. Uh, sorry, listeners. Uh, but also because you guys have interesting backgrounds and what you're building has the potential to be um, in a, have an immense impact. And I was talking about with Amy Guth on the Crosstalk. An immense impact that I don't even... I know we talked about this. I know you guys see it. But I don't think the average Joe and the parents who are getting involved bringing their kids to you guys, I don't think that they're seeing how significant the impact of this is. So what I want you guys to do is either one of you uh, just give the, the, like the three minute, one minute, whatever it is, pitch on digital adventures. And then we will dive into it after the break. Sure. Sure. So at uh, digital adventures, what we do is we teach kids ages four to 17 years old, how to build with technology in retail studios led by charismatic instructors. And what that means is that we'll cover topics like robotics and 3d modeling and printing and video game design and Minecraft modding and digital apps all things that we think are the fundamental building blocks of their future success. Well said. Is there anything you'd like to add, Ajay? No, I think that was that was great. And I think we have a lot of different topic areas because I think every kid is different. Like we were all different. We had different interests. Um, and regardless of what hook is going to be the first thing to get a kid into our programs, we want to make sure that we're exposing kids to a lot of different types of ways of building, let's say, and uh, also kind of layering on a high-level problem-solving toolkit that you do, whether you're doing animation or programming or robotics, you're often going through the same problem-solving processes, and that's really what we try to focus so on. So we're going to get back to the problem-solving part yep. of this, because I think that that's the thing we hope everyone takes away once they leave, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of different things you guys do compared to pretty much everyone else in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that leads to that, and it leads to it in a different way. So we'll save that for after the break. But before that, um, why don't you walk me through, either one of you, walk me through if I were, I don't know, is it an eight-year-old kid? Is that what, What's like the target age? Uh, so we do four to, to 17, but All I would right, say I'm a 17 year old group. that acts like I'm seven. Okay, sure. <laughs> That's about sure. right. Um, and so walk me, and my, my parents now are taking me, and walk me through what I might experience. Sure. So let's say that you were going to do a a project on video game design. We might choose a project called Spaceship Captains, which is using Scratch, which is a programming language that was developed at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology about 15 years ago. So it's visual in nature so that the kids can really understand the logic and the problem solving behind building with technology. And what you would go through, seven-year-old Scott, is you would... No, no, I'm 17. I act like I'm seven. Fine. 17-year-old Scott is going to make, that's acting like he's seven, is going to make his own spaceship sprite so that's a character that we're going to figure out how to okay. control in the game and through the the project what you're going to learn how to do is how do you make the spaceship go up down left right how do you make it go faster or slower how do you make it shoot out lasers and then what we're also going to do is we're going to introduce an asteroid so you're going to learn how to do like random so, number generation right so that this asteroid can kind of pop out and it's going to attack your spaceship so you have to avoid it in order to avoid it 
you're going to shoot a laser. And so we're going to teach you how to do all of that. So it's very hands-on. It's project-based. And what you're going to get to at the end is that you would have built a video game that's about spaceship and navigating outer space and avoiding an asteroid by shooting it with the laser. But what you're also going to get is that you would have done conditional statements and you would have done loops and you would have done variables and you would have done random number generation through that entire project, which is really going to give you a foundation for how do you go about building with technology. And hopefully at some point during that project building, you would have struggled a bit. You would have got frustrated. You would have got annoyed because something didn't work how you wanted it to work. And what we would have gone through is a debugging process with you really time with our instructional team to kind of help you get unstuck and kind of talk about what were you trying to do, Scott? What didn't you do? And how can we kind of help you do that better going forward? All right. So I'm going to tell you after this commercial break, I'm going to tell you what I think is so interesting and unique and something that all of the parents who are listening should be paying attention to. So we're going to take a quick break and I'll come back and share everybody what I think about that. All right, guys, we are back on the show. Your mics are turned on, which means you can talk. I'm just going to share this with you, and you can, t- if you think I'm crazy or I'm leading the wrong direction, you can go ahead and tell me. Go for it. This is so based on what you just said, you kind of walked me through what the 17 year old, immature seven year old Scott would do building a spaceship game, essentially. Um, here's the big differentiator for me. And we get a little bit of it with Codeverse in the physical form, although you, the big differentiator to me for you guys is that you're not just one thing. It's not just robotics, it's not just mm-hmm. games, it's, it's all kinds of stuff. Seeing, as a kid in particular, seeing the creative impact, the design impact in real time mm-hmm. versus staring at lines of code and memorizing lines of code, I, 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 everyone, I get text messages on this call on the show every time because I, I start poo-pooing on, on education, and mm-hmm. I'm going to do it again. Sorry, people who... You just stop listening if you don't like it. Um, don't stop listening to WGN. Stop listening to me. Um, <laughs> the thing I see as a problem is like when I went to even junior high and high school learning Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I will admit, I was not the best student. I didn't like try particularly hard. Mm -hmm. But the idea of like, here's a a stale image and a word and some sort of like context that's strewn together for no real individual person. It's just sort of everyone. I can't like, I can't relate to that. Mm -hmm. I can't see any impact whether I pronounce the word right or I don't pronounce the word. Like no one's going to judge and no no one here is fluent. Mm -hmm. Even the teacher is like fluent, but not actually. And so... I don't learn anything. I don't retain anything. It doesn't work in application. It's theoretical. The same is said with a lot of the code institutions around here is that here's a line of code. Here's Python. Mm -hmm. Here's how you would do this. Here's how you build in C++. Here's Java. Like This is how this goes. You can't actually understand the nuances as to why I would choose a language. Mm -hmm. Why would I choose this? Why would I build it this way? Why would I leave this this sort of buildability or or scalability to the codes Mm -hmm. so that I could add different kind of use cases? I could add different applications to what I'm building. With what you guys are doing, I'm literally sitting there as a kid going, I want to get the asteroid, Mm -hmm. but that looks goofy. Mm -hmm. That doesn't look right. That doesn't feel right. Like a normal person wouldn't play the game that way. Mm -hmm. And then I have to go back and debug and work with you to figure out like, okay, that's awesome that you observed that Mm -hmm. difference. How can we make it go the way you want it to go? And that is a, like what I would call it's overused word, but that is a holistic Mm -hmm. approach to teaching, which is what Amy and I were talking about before you guys came in here, which is just the difference for me with digital adventures to other stuff, at least from the outside in is the, 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 what is the word I'm looking for? The, the centricity of the, the being focused on creative, Mm -hmm. The focus on understanding that if you don't understand how to put together a comic book, mm-hmm. you're not going to, if you're like how the story comes together, you're not going to be able to build a digital comic. Like that's not going to work. 
tell me a little bit more about like why you guys decided to go with this this focus versus just being like we're going to herd kids into this room and we're going to pound code into their head no for sure i think there's there's a couple of things there that i kind of want to tease out because one aspect of what you're talking about is the like quick feedback cycle and i used to be a high school math teacher and i think something that's frustrating for a lot of kids with math um depending on how it's taught again there's a lot of different ways to do this is you might like figure out like solve an equation like you solve for x and then you have your teacher come over and like look at your proof like does it does it seem right and it's really slow it's not really solving a problem that's interesting to you versus with programming I, I think programming in general like you do something you write some code you run it you see right away what's wrong like you get an error message it almost feels like playing a video game in a lot of ways in terms yes, of how totally. quick, quick it is um, so I think that's which one. is why a lot of founders, successful founders, are former gamers. I mean, we totally, were talking yeah. about it in the last podcast, like three in a row. Mm-hmm. The guy from Superhuman, the the viral app on sure, this past sure. week, uh, we got a big surprise for next week, but or I guess two weeks from now. But anyway, uh, all of them were former former gamers. Mm-hmm. That's how they got into it. And they're like, it's a super quick iteration. I don't know. Like whenever I program, it feels like playing. It's like the same almost like dopamine cycle of playing yeah. a video game. But then you're building. You're not just like consuming content. Totally which is again something that's really important for us. Um, in terms of exposing our students to all this stuff. But the other interesting thing that, that you touched on was um, if, going, going back to that Spanish example. It's yeah. like the difference would have, the difference, or the ideal for you for Spanish would have been like, okay, we're going to go on this trip to Mexico. So you're going to drop in like your first day, like try to like go buy lunch. Then you yeah. go in, you're like trying out a few words that doesn't like really work. Then you go back, you do a lesson after that yes. to learn totally. how to order. And then the next day it's like, it's meaningful because it sticks and it's like actual immersion. A problem. Actual so, immersion. Yeah. It's like uh, there's this great Clayton Christensen quote, this uh, HBS Harvard business school yep. uh, professor uh, that's, it's uh, questions or places in your mind where answers fit. And um, I think that is like one of our driving forces. Cause if you don't, evoke a question then the answer just kind of bounces off so we want to make sure kids like have a reason to learn what they're learning otherwise it's just not going to stick which is why we have like 15 different platforms and like six different topic areas because every kid is going to be interested in solving a different where do people go while we're talking about where do people go to to check this out uh so we're at uh www.digitaladventures.com we have a location a studio up in wilmette um, and we also have another one in Lincoln Park and one soon to open in the Western Suburbs. That's awesome. That, we're in Western Suburbs. I'm a Western Suburbs. Uh, we're guy. thinking about Oak Park or maybe Hinsdale. Okay. Hin- Hinsdale's kind of between me. I can I can roll with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking out. I got a little baby. She's like, I don't know, 11 weeks old sitting in the back room. You over can pre-register wife, so. her. Like, we hey, can, you we know, can get her on the list right now. My hope is that she is like an eight-month-old that's like a 17-year-old instead of being a 17-year-old <laughs> who's like a seven-year-old. I like, can't even follow the numbers. <laughs> yeah. It's you're a math teacher. So I, okay. So I want to use that and piggyback. We got a couple minutes. I want to piggyback back off that um and this is a call this a, i hate when people do this a pro tip here's a pro tip for the listeners and for parents and for for anyone even entrepreneurs i i've had a chance to interview honestly god now it's about a thousand people mm-hmm. and there is a there's several common threads we won't get into all those you should listen to the podcast download technology podcast of scott Katoon anywhere you get podcasts little plug um for all that stuff but the one that sticks out in my head is it goes back to your point as a math teacher Slow iteration cycles versus fast iteration cycles. Mm-hmm. This is not intended during, you know, how old are you guys? 39. 39. You look young. Thank 33. You. 33. You look old. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm, I'm 35. I'm 35. So we're, we're, we're all about the same age. In our educational cycle, this wasn't a focus. It just wasn't a thing. It, we weren't paying attention to like how, how to make decision makers. Mm-hmm. Not problem solvers per se, but just can you make quick decisions? Mm-hmm. I have noticed among all of the most successful founders and people in general, just Mm -hmm. people that I've met and talked to, that the best 
are quick decision makers. They don't necessarily always make the right decision, but they're quick, and they move on from it, and if it's the wrong one, they move on. High achievers are not high achievers because they work exceptionally fast. Some do, but not that's not why. It's not because they get the job done every time, 100% completion. Mm-hmm. It's because they can take the most number of balls and bounce them 75% in the air mm-hmm. and just keep them all bouncing about 75 and some of them go the rest of the way and they just keep moving. The thing about teaching kids to code, particularly the way you're doing it, is that, yes, they learn to code. Yes, they learn design. Yes, they learn application theory, etc. All right, sorry about that. I don't know what happened. The irony there is that we were talking about making quick decisions, which we made. We cut the show. And iteration, and it started repeating. That's just funny to me. Uh, to wrap things up on this conversation, what I thought was was sort of the point I was making is that traditional education and the way a lot of this programming stuff goes, it's not... It's not designed to teach a person how to be a quick thinker. And they usually have the reflex of looking behind them and saying, can you help me? Mm -hmm. And that's not something that helps high achievers because they don't have time for that. This is a program literally designed to be like, no, 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 we'll help you when you need it. But right now you're immersed. You figure it out. And it makes quick thinkers, which ultimately makes people who are more decisive, which ultimately I think makes more successful people. Are your, what are your thoughts on, on the design of that and the, the theory that, that what you guys do has such a uh, that's a huge impact mm. so i think um I'm, maybe i'll even come up a little bit and we talk a lot about like the factory model of education it's almost like treating students like they're on an assembly line you're like opening up the brains pouring knowledge in and um, again that's never really worked but yeah. like it worked better in a time where a lot of jobs were a lot more rote and yes. like you kind of were told what to do and less things sure there's less like things to keep in mind but we like live in a world where things change all the time like you don't really know what problems you're going to be solving like six months a year from now so it's important for us to uh, make sure students get comfortable with that ambiguity and that comes with like failing a lot and like failing is okay as long as you learn from what you like yes i love on that people and, like, do the whole like fail 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 like really like i'd like to try to be as good as i can and my thing is if i fail just move on and learn from it like don't don't sit on it um we are running up against the the news here and we're going to come back take a pitch from blue world voyages we'll hear about that and then i think we'll wrap the show up and kind of complete this conversation but where i want to tee things up for the last quarter of the show is you had mentioned this off air when we were we were vibrating on the air uh stem the reintroduction of STEM, because I've got an interesting story that's a result of sort of guys like you. So we are going to drop it over here to the news right now, which is sponsored by Green Tea Services. It is 1.30. Here's Bob Kessler. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I am your host, Scott Katoon. Joining me, we've got the founders of Digital Adventures. Uh, we have enjoyed a good conversation that is going to get even better, I think. But we are going to interrupt ourselves for a moment and take a pitch from a startup uh, the startup is called Blue World Voyages. The founder and chairman is Gene Meehan. Gene, are you on the show? Can Thanks, we... Scott. Of course. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Greetings from uh, not-so-sunny Miami. Not-so-sunny Miami. Oh, no. Um, all right. So <laughs> I'm going to cue you up with our little elevator pitch music, and you're going to have about a minute and a half to give us your pitch on what exactly Blue World Voyages are. Here you go. Fire away. So what we're doing is combining two of the hottest travel trends today, wellness travel and cruising. Uh, Blue World is creating a new niche in the specialty segment of the industry for active lifestyle cruising, and our product is 100% focused on sports and wellness. What's unique about our company is that we've developed a funding model that allows us to get into what's traditionally a very, very high cost of entry business. 
And to do this, we've created a hybrid uh, vessel consisting of 41 and two-bedroom luxury owners' residences, along with 225 passenger cabins. This has only been done once before on a ship called the World of Residence Sea, and my co-founder, Freddie Dellis, was the CEO of that company. So the sale of these 40 units brings us a tremendous amount of capital prior to our launch. And the good news is that as of this morning, we now have over 260 people who are interested in buying these 40 units. What's also interesting about our model is that this model is that it provides the growth capital that we need to scale up quickly, with little or no dilution to early stage investors. So this fits perfectly into our plan to reach three ships within five years. On the passenger side, we're also doing things differently. We've created strategic partnerships with companies who already have direct access to active, healthy adults. And we're commissioning these companies to help us convert their passengers or their consumers into our passengers. So of the six U.S. companies that we've already signed, we now have direct reach to over 40 million active adults in the U.S. Plus, we're now doing the same thing in Europe, where we hope to find similar companies that are interested in working with us in so here are my three headlines. Number one, we just started our Series A round, led by one of the best maritime investment banks in New York City, and we expect to complete this within six to eight weeks. Number two, we had a tremendous market response to the sale of all these residences, and the number of these uh, interested parties keeps growing every day. Number three, uh, our direct access through strategic partners to active, healthy adults will very likely reach over 100 million internationally uh, to our launch. So, Scott, that's an overview of the business, and I'd be happy to talk to you about the why of crowdfunding if you'd like to cover that. Um, so I've got some questions for you. It's On the crowdfunding end, I should, of course, tell people that they can go to republic.co slash blue-world-voyages, um, and you can invest in them. And um, we obviously feature all of the Republic companies on the show, so I think we, we get the gist of why crowdfunding. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for exposure. It's a great opportunity for people to see sort of own a piece of the company that they can own a piece of the boat, right? They could buy the buy the units. Right. Um, what I think is an a interesting question to me here is and it's I don't I've never really thought about it until I saw your company. And that is we all take vacations and cruises and whatever and we say, oh yeah, we're gonna go get some R and R. But then we go and we eat terrible food. We don't do any exercise. We don't do anything that's actually in the wellness category. We stop if we were if we do work out. We stop all of that on our trips and we come back actually less well off than we left. Um, what was the impetus for you to be like? You know what we're going to do? I'm not going to do a Disney line. I'm going to do a line built entirely around wellness. I was telling this to Amy, I believe, before the the change of show, and she was like, "Oh, so it's like." cruise for yoga like a yoga cruise and i was like not exactly but, but generally speaking yes what was the reason you decided to take this route well i can't tell you scott how many people see what we're doing and say my wife and i or my husband and i would never think of cruising but this we would do so wellness is a lifestyle fitness is a, is a lifestyle there's 42 million people in the u.s right now who are considered conscious consumers and that's our market there's certainly going to be no end to drinking on uh, mass market cruise ships, and, and that's what they're there for. But there are a lot of people who want to stay fit, and we're going to be giving them the tools on a specially designed ship to do so. So we know we have a big market, uh, and the number is even bigger in Europe. So 42 million in the United States and like 53 million in, in Europe. Very cool. 
So I, uh, I, I guess the final question I have on you on this one is, does the cruise ship stop and do like tr- traditional stops, or is it one of those kind of deals where it's it's like the whole thing is sort of in the ship? No, we're just the opposite, Scott. We we're going to be very very destination oriented. So on a seven night cruise, we probably hit four or five ports of call, but we may also stay overnight in some of them. We may um, arrive later in the day. Um, we pick our itinerary based on where we can find the best sports. And to, to us, sports are hiking, cycling, golf, tennis, uh, definitely yoga, meditation. But we're also looking for um, farm-to-table food. We're looking for cultural and educational opportunities. So we're kind of the opposite of what you find in the four-star market, where uh, the ship is the destination, and it's all about uh, creating onboard revenues. Well, we're, we're very much itinerary-driven. When you guys have your cruise ship built and heading to the Amalfi Coast, you give me a call. <laughs> I won't be too long from now. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Where do people go to check this out other than Republic? Uh, you can go to our website, www.blueworldvoyages.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gene. Thanks, Scott. All right. Take care. All right, guys. So, what are your thoughts on on the business? What are your thoughts in general on the on the interest level? I I, I think so. I'm I, to Gene's point. I'm not a cruise guy. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not a. I don't like people in general. Like my friend Robbie Abed's <laughs> writing a book right now that says "Don't talk to me." That's what it's called. And I was like, "That's my book." Like, don't talk. <laughs> just because that's why I have a show. I talk to you. You don't talk to me. Um, so cruises for me, it's like an automatic out. But the wellness thing kind of got me, and the idea of like you actually can like. It's very hard in life to, to take time out and mm-hmm. and work on yourself. And it, there's no better way than be locked on a boat, I guess, right? Sure, sure. I mean, I think that I uh, I like cruises a lot. I haven't been on one in several years because we're building a company, so a little more heads down right now. Yeah. Um, but I think that... Lousy Wi-Fi. Right. <laughs> lousy Wi-Fi, but that's probably good to separate and disconnect. Um, but I think that in general, like, I agree with you. Like, I don't know that... I want to go on a cruise to like work out. Like I almost feel like you go on a cruise to do all the stuff that you might not normally be able to do yep. when you're there. But it sounded like to me that there was a, a wellness angle to it, but it was also, I mean, I could be wrong, but it almost like sounded a little bit like a timeshare for cruises yeah. where people are buying, you know, cabins and then perhaps they can re-rent them out because no one that I know of yet can travel a full 52 weeks a year. So it's yeah. like, I would imagine they're kind of repurposing them for those ownership sort of scenarios. But um, yeah, when I go on a cruise, I want to lay out, I want to eat the worst food ever. And I don't know that I want to go on a hike yeah. um, at a port of call. Like I might want to go and see the area and things see, you're like that. You're in good shape now though. Right. That's what I'm saying. So it's like when I get there, like, like it's like me. I'm not doing anything. Like I'm sitting out and we're going to put on that a couple every pounds. Day. <laughs> I, need, I need to go somewhere where they're like, you need to trim down, buddy. Sure. Well, so I, is- I think that also I tend to think of cruises as a little more expensive than yeah. your average vacation. And so, like, I would think that, like, maybe an MVP of, like, lifestyle change is, like, going to, like, Soul Cycle or Planet Fitness or Orange Theory. So. I'm, I mean, again, we're on budget. Like here. we're startup, we're bootstrapping. <laughs> so it's like we gotta. I, I think I'm with with Scott on this because I, I mean, we, I think like when life was such that like a lot of work was a lot more physical. I think sure. having like a vacation where you're just relaxing feels almost like a nice remove. But sure, I think when you're sitting all day or like when you're in front of a screen, like having like seven days where you're act. I don't know. I, I, it's interesting to me mentally. I get where you're like I intellectually i totally get where you're going because i i try to treat every day like just a lush you know it's fine <laughs> but like but but when i when i think about it though like the concept of a vacation especially sure. if you're a hard worker like the concept of a vacation shouldn't be that you come back and you're reeling when you come back yeah 
Like, I get dropping a Vegas in there every once in a while to go, no, it's fine. But for me, it's like there's a mental shift that I almost think that we need to start making where you're like, you know what? I'm making a vacation to invest in myself. Sure. So I'm going to go out. I'm going to sightsee, but I'm going to walk. I'm going to hike. I'm going to try to eat. I'm going to clean up. Imagine where you do a, a vacation where you actually come in. You come home yeah. more amped up and ready to go. Like you almost reset the dial. Supposed to deteriorate. Yes, yeah, supposed to coming home. You're like, oh my god. I'm like, I have like you know booze sweats going on when I get in the office. Which, I guess, obviously, I have a problem. I don't. No, know I mean, I think that's on. why most people say they need to take a vacation from their vacation because they go and totally go true. so extreme. So maybe it's like we go on a vacation where we overindulge and then we go on to. The cruise ship that's more about wellness. So now we need two weeks of vacation. We need one that's like we're going over the top and then one where we clean ourselves back up so that we can now be productive to society. I, I totally – I agree with you. I, it's just funny because like you don't – like I always thought of cruise ships as the place where there's no – you know, you're basically just sedentary and you're just sitting sure. there like eating greasy food. But like the idea of switching that up. Yeah. That's an interesting reframe. Yeah. And I, he didn't say you can't go off like when you do your hike and go like booze cruise. Like no sure. one – he couldn't say you don't have to you know have fun. It's just at least there's some healthiness. But yeah. I don't know. I think it's an interesting idea. Um, go to republic.co slash register. You can invest in all the companies. They're on there. It's uh, blue-world-voyages. Um, we are going to take one more break, and we are going to come back and pick up the conversation with you guys on digital ven- adventures and why I think it is so interesting. All right. Welcome back to the last quarter of the Startup Showcase, joined by the founders of Digital Adventures. Um, we were picking up a conversation from the beginning of the show, and we talked about how I want to get into this sort of the the long-term impact of what you guys are doing. And I thought uh, you said it absolutely best when we talked about sort of the, the creative impact. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about what you were thinking. Yeah, so when, when we think about what we're doing at Digital Adventures and how we're teaching kids to build with technology, like we think a lot about skills that kids have kind of moved away from over the years. So things like math, things like design, things like creativity that are super, super important. So a lot of times we'll have students that'll come in, they'll be building a project like the spaceship that we talked about earlier where they'll say, hey, you know what, this is a really, really fun project, but I hate math. And we'll go back to and say, well, hold on, like you just did coordinate systems. We just did variables. You just did a random number generator. Like this was all math that you just did. And they don't even realize that they're doing math. And then they come and start doing it over and over again. They're like, oh, I could be good at math because like math is such a foundational skill nowadays that you almost can't ignore it. And so like the idea that we can now find a way that people can do math and they can do science and they can do like engineering logic and design is one of the best parts I think about what we're building. So I think the learning. Yep. Yeah. I, I think the the fear factor around being wrong or like the pause in your brain where you're sort of like sitting there trying to do the calculation in your head and you look stupid. Mm-hmm. That is that part that I think makes people hide mm-hmm. and they don't want to learn it. They don't even want to pursue it because it's just that yeah. that looks like a whole road full of that. Sure. And so if you can eliminate that and just, I mean, forget about whether the kid's any good. Yeah. If the the knowledge that they can do it mm-hmm. is enough for them, like, oh, no, I can. And I like the outcome. Yeah. So, like, I'm totally down with being ripped on for, like, five minutes. Who cares? Yeah. And that, that incidental outcome, I think, is, like, I think it's monumental because mm-hmm. I, I think it it potentially, like, for the, for the kids, it's, it's obvious. We've talked about it. For the education and the institutions, I, I'm hoping that this might just be one of those extra nudges that they are like, oh, we can institute this, mm-hmm. and then kids will actually want to do this. Oh, I get yeah. it. And I think that that's what we're also seeing is that because like technology and coding and STEM is kind of in vogue and it's on trend now, we're actually getting a lot of schools to reach out to us now to say, hey, 
we've heard about your program. Like, is there something that you can do with us? And we've actually started to have a lot of schools integrate us into the school day versus being an extracurricular. And so when kids can see this as a part of their day that they can build and that it's kind of gotten the seal of approval from the administration or from their teachers, like they buy into it so much more because now it feels like this is a part of my school day. What I'm learning has got to be useful because my teacher said that we're going to go and do, you know, digital adventures class today and we're going to build a spaceship or we're going to make a robot or we're going to make an animation. And so it's very, very fulfilling, super so satisfying. with a couple minutes left, what do you see as the long... I mean, obviously, you can continue to open new locations. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see as the big picture? What is Digital Adventures in like three years? So I think that our goal is that we want to get more students who are engaged in creative problem solving, right? So our mission is that we teach kids to build with technology so they can one day change the world. There's a lot of problems that are out there in the world that are going to require increasingly creative solutions. And if we're still teaching kind of the traditional mad science without the context of technology, because a lot of platforms or a lot of building nowadays has technology as a foundation, right? Like you started probably many years ago where you would try to integrate and layer in technology, whereas now it's becoming like that foundational layer. And so if we're going to have this next generation be able to go through and solve the series of problems that we have in the world, they need to get comfortable with building with technology. They need to get comfortable with failure. They need to get comfortable with dusting themselves off and getting back up again. And so like if we can create like that next generation that's super excited about that, super excited about technology and also has that empathy to where they want to dive in and solve these problems. And so we've created our programming to kind of condense and like coagulate around that idea where it's like we're doing something called brain sports where they take a 10 or 12 week program and they we've done amazon alexa skills we've done api development we've done raspberry pi and python microcontrollers to get them comfortable with the idea that we'll teach you skills for about eight or so weeks and then you'll go off on your independent study project that's of your own kind of creation and so like they see that not only can i do skill development but i can also start to make stuff that i care about which i think is something that they're going to increasingly have to do going forward arjun you as a math teacher it was actually in you know sort of academic institutional Mm -hmm. i've got a bit kind of a big idea question for you do you now that you're on this side of it i'm sort of wrestling i i I like the idea of different company investments in education because i think it needs to be disrupted like crazy do you see a world where this kind of digital adventures gets like right now you talked about getting brought into those schools Mm -hmm. do you see a world where we sort of decentralize the education system and it's more of like you go for what you need and where you go because there's just too much that we need to get and it's impossible to find a teacher who can do all of this i mean i think at the very least like not everyone needs to learn all of the same things correct uh, it's kind of the starting point in terms of decentralization having kids um, get a little bit more choice and ownership over their um, actual progress, I think, is is really important. Whether that means it's like students going off to like separate experiences or whether yeah. it's still the same building. And like, I think there is something to be said for like the community of adults and students that you build together in like a building for four years or eight years. It's almost beyond the learning itself. But in terms of how that learning works within the institution, whether it's like you go to the same class for the same day every time around like A, B block scheduling, I think there's a lot that can be changed there. Because I think when students take more ownership, then they're going to be more engaged. And honestly, they're just, they'll just take away more from the learning than if they're just getting assignments given to them. I, I agree with you. I think the the challenge for me always when I look at this is the augmentation model, which you guys are you know more or less on right now. Mm-hmm. It is so dependent on the parents being having the foresight to be like, I'm going to enroll my kid in this, and then the really really high quality kids who are probably going to be overachievers anyway mm-hmm. will go, and then the ones who weren't won't. 
And it's very, very, unless the parent is like mine, where they were just sort of disappointedly watching my, me as a kid be like, what is he doing? Only those parents will send the kids in. I wonder if there's an opportunity for more, I don't know, I'm going to say integration. I don't know that I even mean that. It's more of like, we have to completely re-engineer what we look at as like our core education. Mm-hmm. And then after that, how do you build so that a person can be pushed in different directions and they're still sure. together, mm-hmm. but like it, there's got to be more integration. In no, it. totally. I think, and it's also there's so much information out there. Yes. It's not just a textbook that like has everything or a teacher that is the expert. I think there's room for teachers to almost move into like a curation role where they're figuring out what are the best experiences for these students that I know really well, as opposed to designing everything themselves from scratch. So I think that's a great place for integration to come in where the cream can rise to the top of what's just the best experiences for particular students, as opposed to everyone does the same thing. Yeah. Cause this is what I know. It's easy for us to sit here and tell them how to do it, but I, I don't know the answers to, to how to do it. But what I, what I do see is unlike, and you mentioned this earlier, unlike, any other time in our world where you could give someone a core set of learning tools Mm -hmm. and they were all going to go out and like, yeah, there's like 2% are going to go and do something crazy and like 10, 20% are going to go out and do nothing. Mm -hmm. And then there's like 60 to 70% who are going to do relatively the same thing in different verticals Mm -hmm. that worked for a long time. But now you're going to have a career for like three years and then you're going to work somewhere else. And like with the exception of those who are in banking, who for whatever reason do the same thing every day. um, I I don't like, I just don't see a world where you have an advantage just knowing the the base. Yeah. I mean, I think this goes through like higher ed as well. Like, Oh my God. It's 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 like more higher ed than, than below. I think if we looked at our, if we looked at what, you know, early education really is, it really should be a core foundation. It's mm-hmm. less about the topics. It's more about learning mm-hmm. how to learn. Sure. Yeah. That's what we need to focus on. There's yeah. a lot of work around this uh, idea called non-cognitive skills, where you're building up things like resilience and communication and uh, almost like, like you said, core skills that aren't really related to a particular domain. I think that's uh, a lot of where education is and should be moving towards. I think this is a, a very, very cool company. Very uh, happy that you guys have been able to get this thing rolling and seems to be doing well. Uh, go to digitaladventures.com to learn more about this. Thank you guys very much for coming on the show and spending the hour with us. Absolutely. Fun. Thanks for having us. Of course. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break, kick to the news and Dane and see what's going on in his show.